Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wedding bells in 2020? Enjoy every minute of planning your big day. The Bride of the Year Show, RDS, January 25th and 26th. Catwalk shows, bridal designers, wedding professionals, thousands of ideas and inspiration. The Bride of the Year Show at the RDS. See wed.ie. The following program is an MLWRadio.com production. You remembered them fondly, and then they were gone. And now you want to know who, what, where, when, why, 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 why. Why it ended with Robbie E. and Matt Coon. So we are here. It is hashtag Why It Ended Wednesday. Another week here at Why It Ended. We're off last week's awesome episode, which was actually our first episode. Well, really our second, but really our first with a woman as our guest, Francine, the queen of extreme. Awesome feedback from last week's episode, right, Matt? Hey, do me a favor, Robbie. Could you explain to me how it's the first, but the second, but really the first? Well, it's okay. It's the first main show that we had a woman as our guest but we technically we did have a bonus show that had former WWE diva Cherry but that was a bonus show so it's not really our first show so that's why Francine's our first show but you, you get you see where the you understand what I'm saying right? if someone on Twitter can draw a schematic for us and go ahead and post it for the first woman or second woman on wide end we'd appreciate it but Robbie I'll tell you we appreciated that show and we appreciate Francine she is pretty much answering all why it ended uh, questions uh, on her Twitter uh, at ECW Francine. Um, what did you think of the show? And also uh, that that uh, at the same time that she talked about that um, she was in WWE for a second, that same clip came out on the network. So everybody was talking about that clip. And she said, listen to why it ended. Yeah, I say. It, it, I was getting more tweets from if you would have if I would have if someone would have told me <laughs> look at us all messing up our words here Francine's just having a <laughs> uh, if I if someone would have told me in high school that I'd be getting blown up on my Twitter account by Francine I wouldn't have, I mean come on dude this, it, it's like a hundred tweets from Francine I'm, it's like I'm in heaven it's it's amazing you know she may have said also on Twitter that I have a dreamy voice and she's not wrong but at the same time. Unfortunately, that's the best part about me. So I. Well, that was probably her daughter or son using her Twitter account. There's no way she would say that. Well, when she, if and when she ever meets me, she'll be completely horrified, like everybody else. So. Uh, well, if and when I ever meet you, I might be horrified also. You know, and we are going to put that when that happens. Hopefully, it'll happen on a wide-ended live show. When Robbie and I meet, we're going to put that on video, and that's going to be exclusive for our Patreon fans. And we have yet to meet, and. Um, 
Robbie is going to look like a little tiny kid next to me. That's what I'm pretty sure. <laughs> it's all right. I, I look like a little tiny kid next to a lot of people. I've accepted it. Well, if you do want to get a t-shirt from Wyatt Ended, you can go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Wyatt Ended. And you can check out our YouTube channel where sometimes we release some bonus content first. And that is where it ended. And also make sure to check out uh, our Twitter at why it ended, of course, and Instagram at why it ended. And also, please check out our Patreon site. We're getting more and more stuff on every day. And if we get the interviews early, you get them early at patreon.com slash why it ended. Robbie, today we have Tully Blanchard. Uh, this is someone a little bit before your time, but I think you have an appreciation for the kind of wrestler he was. Oh, I do. And I also have uh, an appreciation for all the texts that he made you send me all week because you were like a kid in a candy store. I've never seen you so excited for a guest ever. I mean, guys, Matt has texted me 20 times a day about how excited he is to talk to Tully. I'm not sure if the word is excited. I was I was prepared. I was, um, you know, uh, just wanting to do the do. Okay, I know it's kind of weird that I may have texted you a lot more about Tully than I did Francine. But <laughs> let's just go ahead and, and leave that resting. For me, Tully Blanchard, tagged with Gino Hernandez, with Tully Blanchard Enterprises, with J.J. Dillon, and the Join the Horsemen, the feud with Magnum T.A., leaving Crockett, going to WWE as the Brain Busters, and then disappearing off the face of the earth is going to be one of the best episodes of White Ended ever. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, a lot of it I don't know, but I'm looking forward to knowing it, so I can't wait to hear his side of the story. Well, as everybody picks up themselves off the floor from the realization that Robbie E. doesn't know something, what I want to do is tell you to stay tuned for Tully Blanchard on why it ended right after this. I have a college degree. <laughs> Stop using your hand. Dot com. Now, of course, you know by now about our great sponsor, Pleasure Products USA. They are a huge supporter of why it ended and also your online destination for innovative quality and affordable items geared towards men's sexual pleasure. As you know, or you probably should know, their signature product is the 3B Starlet Stroker. That's right, the 3B Starlet Stroker. It has an amazing realistic internal texture, multiple vibration settings, and for the finishing maneuver, an actual voice of an adult film star is recorded to the device to make more than the crowd pop. Now, if you're not sure about all this, this is all very new to everybody. Now, if you're not sure about all this, if you're not sure about this, and this is all new to you, check this out. You can try a free, that's right, a free stroker. All you have to do is just pay the shipping and handling of $6.95. For just $6.95 shipping and handling, you can get a free stroker. All you gotta do is go to pleasureproductsusa.com slash product slash Josephine. That's Josephine. And enter the coupon code FISBOP. So whether you're going to get the 3D Scarlet Stroker or you just want to try out or you just want to dip your toe in the water so to speak with this free stroker for only $6.95 shipping and handling make sure to check out our good friends at StopUsingYourHand.com Now remember to get that free stroker go to PleasureProductsUSA.com slash product slash Josephine and the coupon code is fist bump. That's pretty funny. But you know what's not funny? Pleasure Products USA. Stop using your hand.com. 
today. The Sellers Law Firm, LLC, is a law firm focusing on family law and criminal defense while still providing a wide range of general legal services, from adoptions, child support, custody, divorce, and legitimation, to DUI, traffic tickets, misdemeanors, and felonies, the Sellers Law Firm is here to help you. As a proud member of the Griffin Downtown Council and several legal organizations, the Sellers Law Firm strives to serve the local... <laughs> You were on a roll. Hold on. You were on a roll, man. I don't know what any of these words mean. <laughs> As a proud member of the Griffin Downtown Council and several legal organizations, the Sellers Law Firm strives to serve the local community while expanding its services throughout the state of Georgia. Of course, if they can ever be of service, please let Judy, Bobby, or Jody know. That's what family is for. Whether you find yourself in need of a lawyer now or whether you just want to ask a few questions, Give them a call at 770-415-9848 at the Sellers Law Firm, where clients become family. And you never know when you're going to need law services, so go ahead and follow Jody Sellers at Sellers Law Firm, S-E-L-L-E-R-S Law Firm. And they're also a sponsor of wrestling. Is that right, Rob? Yep, UCW Hometown Throwdown and Summerfest. They're sponsoring August 11th in Barnesville, Georgia. Sellers Law Firm, LLC, where clients become family. All right, guys, out of all the shows we've done, this is the one I'm most excited about. We have with us someone I watched, I was a huge fan of, the one and only Tully Blanchard. Tully, how are you doing today? I am doing good, Matt. It's great to be with you guys. Hey, we appreciate you being on our show this uh I think a lot of the fans are going to be super excited to hear hear your story and hear about your wrestling career. So this is a, a big episode for us, Tully. Well, great. I am uh, Robbie, right? This is Robbie, yep. Get older, I just, I, 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 I die on names sometimes, so. Hey, believe uh, me, it's, 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 it's all good, man. It's, it's all good. I, <laughs> the only names I remember in my life are my wife and my baby twins. I barely know Matt's name, my co-host. So it's all good. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, Tully, I, you, um, when you were young, your, your father was the promoter, right? Um, well, my dad was, my dad started wrestling in 1954 up in Canada and uh he's a product of uh Stu Hart's dungeon and when he was up there playing pro football met my mother and I was born in Calgary and then dad rest traveled and uh as everybody did back in back in the day and then uh my dad went to work in Indianapolis for uh, Jim Barnett in the office there, and they had probably the strongest group of of people that wrestling had ever put together at that time. Well, who was uh, uh, who was Jim? Who I was can, Jim Barnett? Who, what what promotion was he a part of? Uh, he was the the he owned the the big time wrestling in Indianapolis. And uh, had Cowboy Bob Ellis and Dick the Bruiser and Bobo Brazil and Gene Kaniski and Wilbur Snyder and uh, 
Kenji Shibuya and Mitsu Arakawa, uh, the Shires brothers, uh, Wilbur Snyder, my dad. Uh, that that's a pretty strong stable back in the '60s, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, as a son of a wrestler and a son of someone from Stu Hart's Dungeon, you also kind of followed the very uh, traditional route a lot of the great wrestlers did. You went to West Texas State University. Now, that is probably the number one breeding ground of professional wrestlers in, in the entire world. Um, at that, Can you talk a little bit about West Texas State? And also, at that point, was football kind of your thing or was wrestling more your thing? Uh, no, I went, I went to West Texas to play football. I was, I, I actually, out of high school, I went to SMU in Dallas, uh, to play for Hayden Fry and he, he got fired in the middle of my freshman year and, uh, didn't really see eye to eye with the new coaching regime that came in and, um, they wanted me to move from quarterback to defensive end. And uh, so I, before my sophomore year, I dropped out of school uh, before school started. And then I graduated the, in spring and summer school. I graduated from Cisco Junior College. So I was eligible to play football the next year and, uh, and went to West Texas State. And which is probably one of the, the, the neatest things that I did, but one of the more tragic things in my life that I'm not really, not a lot of people talk about. It is the first chapter in my book. When, when school was finished in the, in the, in the spring, uh, of 1974, I was in a, I, I was coming home from school that night and hanging out with uh, some of my friends and we were in a very severe car wreck. And I don't know if you have ever noticed when I was wrestling that big scar I had underneath my right arm. Yeah. Uh, but that was, that was from that car wreck. And uh, I was cut from the middle of my chest un in my underarm, severed all my lap muscles right down to my ribs and cut to the middle of my back. And, uh, the, the doctor said that I would never be able to throw a football again and certainly not in the fall, four months down the road. And I ended up starting at West Texas state that fall. Uh, I didn't throw very well, but we ran the wishbone and, and I started for three years, uh, at quarterback at West Texas state. Tell it was all also there. Then, I was going to say was also, were you with um, any guys at the time on your team that ended up being wrestlers also? Was it Tito Santana and Ted DiBiase? Um, DiBiase was there when I got there and he got injured in spring training and uh, then went off to wrestle during the summer and had a child and had a wife and realized that he made a lot more money wrestling than he could in school. So he went to wrestling, uh, Tito Santana and I played together my sophomore year and, uh, started wrestling. And he and I had an apartment down in Tampa and we started for Eddie Graham 
and uh, you couldn't get any better uh, coaching than Eddie Graham and Dory Funk Jr. at that time. And uh, then Jim Barnett, who had bought Georgia Championship Wrestling and was had moved to Atlanta, uh, liked Tito and hired him to move up there and called him Richard Blood for a little while. And then they gave him the name, somebody gave him the name Tito Santana, and his career speaks for itself. Uh, but he did graduate West Texas State. I graduated West Texas State. Terry and Dory graduated there. Uh, Bobby Duncombe, uh, Dusty Rhodes went there. Frank Goodish went there. Bruiser Brody. Um, <clears throat> it, it, it's an amazing school, and, and no one can argue that it's probably number one, you know, number two at worst of, you know, uh, uh, in turning out wrestlers. And, oh, gosh, you know, yeah. uh, in your wrestling career, you know, I think a lot of times the first people, the first memories people have of you is with Gino Hernandez. And I, can you talk a little bit about people who aren't familiar with Gino Hernandez, what kind of wrestler he was and what kind of wrestler he would be, you know, if he was able to wrestle a bit longer? Oh, gosh. Gino was uh, a tremendous uh, talent on the, the microphone. He was... Uh, extremely handsome he was he and i were uh, a good tag team uh maybe a borderline great tag team the without getting ahead of ourselves you know i mean it, it was th there were some there were some technical differences between arn and myself and me and gino that i think made arn and i a better tag team overall but Gino and I made tremendous uh, amounts of money in Houston and South Texas. And, uh, and then when, when we switched and made him a baby face, we, we sold out every place. And then uh, uh, and when I went to work for Crockett in 1984, just at the start of that whole turnaround and prior to the Four Horsemen thing, we actually called Dory Funk Jr. and I called Dor uh, called uh, Gino and asked him if he wanted to come to work. And uh, if if he would have come to North Carolina, he'd probably still be alive. Wouldn't have got caught up in all that craziness. But he was uh, a premier talent in this business, and people love to hate him, kind of like they love to hate me. So <laughs> you know, I can see that. I never saw you guys. I became more aware of you. You know, with. Uh, previous right before the horseman and crockett but i i watched gino and uh later in later years and i can imagine you guys were great let me ask you this uh vice is vice uh, television is doing a documentary series on a bunch of wrestling subjects one is uh, bruiser brody that's coming out soon and another one is focus on gino hernandez or more more of the controversy around the death of gino hernandez and do you have a personal feeling about that the well i mean the there's no doubt that he died of an overdose i mean that that's not that i don't think that's ever been in question whether it was self-induced or not i think is the question and um uh and i my anything that i would say is from a distance because i don't know any of the players i don't know any of the stuff uh i do know that 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 uh gino had a lot of friends that were questionable and um, sometimes it's it is 
if you owe friends money, there's things happen. And, uh, and I could see that scenario playing out pretty easily. And then I also could see the overdose thing. And, uh, it's, it's just a sad, sad, sad situation, uh, that anybody's life gets to that point. Um, and, uh, I, I, I'm speaking firsthand because I watched my son deal with an addiction that, that he's been set free from, uh, for six years now. And, uh, but once you're addicted, once that, that addiction is on you and it consumes you and, and it's a brutal, brutal thing to, to escape from. And if it wasn't for the power of God, my son wouldn't be with me today. And um, those lessons you get to see over and over again, unfortunately, in the world of professional wrestling. And it's awesome about your son. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about this later. But what's the name of your book, Tully? I quit. <laughs> but you did it, though. <laughs> but I know I did. You know, Robbie uh, saw the That's match. That's the whole point. Robbie saw the match today because I don't know if he'd seen it in a while. And I don't know if you realize this, Robbie, but we'll talk about this in a minute. But Tully never actually said, I quit in that match. And and so why did everyone think that you did? Because he yelled. Because uh, well, the referee, I, I, I said yes was the only thing I said. <laughs> and, and it was an I quit match. And, and is that something referee... that people still mess with you about today? Oh, absolutely. And, um, so it, it is just, just the nature of, of my life and, and how the power of God came into my life and, uh, the, the book had to be named I quit and, uh, it's, (laughs) (laughs) and and all wrestling fans. All wrestling fans will get it. The oh, yeah, non-wrestling sure. fans won't, won't have a clue, but that's okay. When you came in to uh, Crockett, of course, that's when I became aware of you. Tully Blanchard Enterprises with J.J. Dillon, with Baby Doll. But when you came in, you uh, people don't remember this, but you actually feuded with a, uh, a good guy, Ric Flair. What, what were those matches like looking back on them now with you as the heel and Flair as the fan favorite? I think I only wrestled him once. Um, and it was not a good, it wasn't a good mix because nobody wants to see the babyface champion get beat. And Flair was a babyface. Uh, we made more money with, with Wahoo and, uh, me and Wahoo against Flair and Dusty in tag matches or Flair and Mulligan in a Indian rope strap match. And, but it was, it was the stuff that, that turned Crockett's company around and we started selling out. And then as the talent came in to work for us, uh, the baby doll thing was, was kicking off and, uh, you know, we started selling out and never looked back. And, uh, you know, that was, that was a tremendous, uh, time of my life and very fortunate. Um, you know, and the, and the one thing that, that 
I, I guess I am very, very fortunate, very blessed when I'm probably the only promoter's kid that became a big star working for somebody else other than their dad. And I, I always kind of liked that part of my career. Uh, even though I was, I was a main event guy and, uh, and drew money for my dad and for our company there at Southwest, uh, to, to reach the height of your career working for other people and not have that family. Right. It's based on your own merits. Yes. And, uh, I was, I, I was pleased far beyond words that that happened uh like that did your did your dad always stay supportive of your career even when you branched out oh yeah absolutely um we we did you know i mean we were our our promotion company in san antonio was very very successful we were the we were the first wrestling show on the usa network and uh and I'm, I'm quoted in a couple of books that the WWE is, is uh, saying, and, and if my dad and I would have been better businessmen and, and grasping what we had uh, and, and made the TV show make money instead of the TV show being an infomercial, which back in, in the 60s and 70s, your wrestling show was basically an infomercial to get people to go to the arenas. How long would the infomercial be? Well, it, it was an hour. I mean, oh, however wow. long your wrestling show would. See, I, I never knew that. And I, I, Matt, I, I, I had no clue that there was ever wrestling on the USA Network before WWE or oh, WWF. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Vince, Vince oh, just uh, won it. Yeah. Oh, oh, Southwest Championship Wrestling was the very first show on the USA network and my dad and I produced it, but we had to pay $7,000 a week to be on there. And it was not generating any money for us. Yeah. And $7,000 back then is a lot of money. $7,000 a week now is a lot of money. Boy, this is true. And, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> uh, you know, we did, we did $3 million was our best year. Um, which was great business for here. And all the guys that worked for us all made a, a great living. And, uh, but then, you know, you lose your TV and you have some business partners take this and take that. And, uh, you know, it just, it, it's, uh, we didn't, we didn't cover ourselves well enough. And if we would have, you know, I, you don't know what would have happened, but we didn't. And, uh, you know, my dad got out of the wrestling promotion and, uh, and, uh, you know, right in there in 1978 when my brother got killed and that like to killed my parents and me. And, uh, uh, you know, and my parents went through a life change with, with, uh, the power of Christ to get through that situation. And, uh, I personally wasn't going to mess with, uh, church or the God thing or anything like that, because I was too busy, uh, going out to be a star. And that's when I got hired, uh, by Crockett, uh, to, to go back to North Carolina. And, uh, in February of 1984, after our, our TV and, 
uh, chaos went, went south and, uh, you know, the rest of it's pretty much, uh, pretty much history. Uh, Tully in that time, when uh, you, in that time when you were working for Crockett back then, did all the guy, was the locker room very close? Did all you guys get along or were you gunning for the top spots? Cause the top spots made more money. Like how were you guys to each other? There was a great camaraderie more so when the horseman thing, but when, when you're just a guy walking in the dressing room, you know, you, you try to be, um, courteous and thankful. Like, you know, you go in and, and the, the building sold out and, you know, Wahoo and, and flair on the main event, you'd thank them for drawing the house because you're getting paid on their, off their rear end. And there was a camaraderie like that. And still everybody worked hard to try to elevate their own career by doing the best that they could do. And, uh, that was always my philosophy is I wanted to have the absolute best match not that I could have, but the best match on the card every night. And I went to the ring and did what I could do without going outside my boundaries. I didn't use other people's spots. I didn't use other people's finishes and, and stuff like that, which was kind of taboo. Um, and, and just have the work the hardest and excite the people because I always operated under, if you make the people scream the longest and the loudest, somebody is going to appreciate that. And uh, then your career goes. Well, you know, I think people definitely appreciated that. And Robbie, I think anybody, any young wrestler out there who wants to be hated should look at Tully. And I want to talk about just something, Tully, I don't think I've heard people talk about with you. At the beginning of every match you had, you would do something involving a handshake. Like sometimes you would trick the guy into thinking you were a good guy and shake his hand, and then you would slap him across the face later. Or sometimes you would pull your hand away and slap away. How, how important is just setting that tone of you as the ultimate kind of a-hole heel, that handshake part of your match? I always thought it was uh, something as a kid that made me hate you. <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> You were supposed to. <laughs> you don't still hate him, do you, Matt? Oh no, no, not at all. He's on our show. I love him, but you you just hate me. <laughs> no, that's that's definitely true. That's definitely true. No, but it it is, you know, it it was the intent. Johnny Valentine, probably one of the greatest of absolute all time, told me one time. He said, "If people respect." your talent and your ability, they will hate you even more. It's pretty true. I mean, you okay. got it. <laughs> it makes sense. And so, so I would show that I could wrestle, that I could, that if somebody out wrestled me, I'd shake their hand and say, Hey, that was a good move, you know, and whatever the scenario would, would, would roll. Um, you know, that's, that's the stuff that I would do. And then when it came time to change, uh, the tide of battle, I would, if I had to, I would, 
do something that was somewhat dastardly. It, it certainly paid off. Um, Telly, why do you think people still to this day talk about the I quit match so much? Like, is it, is it, was it the angle? Was it the finish, the heat behind? Like, what do you think is the reason that that match is just what they, they talk about when they think of your career, at least a lot of fans? Well, they, they, it was one of the more intense feuds of, I mean, it was, it was a violent all summer long, uh, every night, every week on TV, something happened. Uh, we wrestled all over the country every night in bloody battles and to finally get it down to an I quit match for the title. Um, and then to have that quality of a match, uh, inside a cage and that violent and bloody, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, and just so that all your listeners, that was, I still have the scars today. So, uh, it was my blood and real blood and, uh, et cetera. But, uh, uh, you know, and, and, and that was the culmination, but the fact that I never said I quit, it was an unfinished thing. And then when Terry got hurt, not too long after that, and, uh, in the car wreck, you never had a chance for round two. And uh, for me, it's one of the moments I think about as a wrestling fan growing up and just remembering, you know, the the lead up, the feud and that. And and of course, Magnum T.A., who I think just, you know, someone that maybe could have been the next Hulk Hogan, could have been someone who had just uh, unspeakably great career. And to say that you and uh, Terry Allen have a complicated relationship is probably an understatement. But what was it? in front of the camera that made you two so compelling and then what do you think it just where was terry headed as a wrestler before that terrible car accident um well i mean terry was going to be one of the premier baby faces in in all of wrestling and uh you know we were we were making sure of that and uh so he'd have been right there next to dusty roads and and people at that level. Um, and you know, whether to say somebody was going to be the next Ric Flair or whatever, you know, that you don't, you don't know that because the NWA, you, you never had babyface world champions. They were always heels. And to say that a great babyface would make a great heel doesn't work all the time. And certainly not, I mean, I would have not, I would have never been a good baby face. I wasn't a good baby face when I started, I could perform and do all the stuff, but I did not, I did not come to my own until, uh, I talked my dad into switching me heel, which was another non thing for a promoter's kid to be a heel. Um, but that's where I came into my own. And, you know, Terry was, uh, just extremely believable. He was extremely tough. He was, uh, you know, everything 
that he said people believed it and uh it sold tickets and uh you know and it, he would have been there for years and years and um would have been you know making a lot more money than he did uh but uh, but he's had a very successful life he's overcome some tremendous uh difficulties i mean from a guy that was never supposed to walk again to uh having a job and having a family and and uh doing uh great things uh and uh just extremely successful and you got to take your hat off to somebody that has overcome all the things that he's overcome to to live a full life and uh I saw him a couple of weeks ago up in Knoxville, Tennessee. I mean, we had the four horsemen there and you had rock and roll express and you had, uh, uh, Terry and steamboat, uh, were over there. And, uh, it was a, it was a tremendous showing for the, the wrestling side of the entertainment business, as well as all the people that you would have. They had the two guys from, uh, uh, uh major league were there. Oh my God. That's my favorite movie of all time. Which two guys? Oh yeah, they had the 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 third baseman, uh, and the catcher, yes. Dorn and Jake. Yeah, Dorn, Dorn, <laughs> third baseman, and then they had the catcher. Yeah, Jake. I, I love that and, movie. Uh, Corbin Burnson and Tom Berenger. Yeah, yep, that's it. Ew, and, Matt, uh, we actually you know, and they had other. Yeah, exactly. That's weird that we actually watched the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, it was you know they were like four tables down from from where I was. And then the four horsemen and the karate kid cast were in the same thing at a, at a different interview. So um, my daughter was there sitting at, at my table with me. So that was very, very nice. And, uh, all that to say, you know, Terry was there and, and, uh, drove up from Charlotte and, uh, had, uh, one of his, uh, uh, sons there, Tucker, and, uh, which is a half brother, to my children and uh so it was uh uh a neat trip to knoxville tennessee well you you said that uh you were there you know taking pictures and signing autographs with the horsemen and obviously a lot of fans probably most fans remember you for being a part of the horsemen do you yourself like do you ever wish that you got to have a solo run by yourself away from the horsemen where it was just Tully Blanchard. Maybe you got a, a, you know, an NWA world heavyweight championship run or something like that. Do you ever look back and say, you know, man, I wish I had that, or I could have had that. I, I no, there's, there's no sour grapes at all. Um, in, in my career that, you know, I mean, it was, uh, the goal every night is to be part of, the people that make things happen and the horsemen made things happen. And, uh, you know, being the, the, the next to last match or the third to last match and one of the main events and one of the featured matches, you know, I mean, it was, it was a thing that we did. And for, I think three years, I can't remember wrestling in front of a not sell out crowd 
in any city in this country for three years. And, you know, that, that's pretty much unheard of stuff. Uh, and, uh, you know, it didn't make any difference if, if, uh, we were all there or if half of us were there and they had two towns running and, and that kind of stuff. And, and that was very satisfying in your career. But the thing that is really, and JJ and I talked about this in Knoxville, um, the thing that is really the proof in the pudding is that when you put Barry, Arn, Rick, myself, and JJ in Knoxville, Tennessee, and put us off in the corner of a, a room and people for two days line up nonstop, always have a line in front of every one of us to take a picture, to take a selfie, to have a sign something 30 years after the fact. That tells you something was successful. And, and, and when you're successful, you know, it, you, you can't live your life going, oh gosh, I could have done this or, oh, if I'd have caught that pass or, oh, if I'd have done this or if I'd have done that, you know, you, you, you rob, you rob yourself of what life has, has given you, if that makes any sense. So that, that, that's something for us all to think about, you know, it's easy to go back and think about what could have been, but meanwhile, not appreciating the fact that even now the horseman can draw a line, any convention I go to, you know, uh, that's the, probably the best vantage point to have. And you talked earlier about your exit from Crockett, but just kind of leading up to that, um, the, the, I think the straw that broke the camel's back, a lot of people think was the pay and that you guys may have gotten some information about some managers or people that you felt less deserving got less pay. Do you feel that generally you and Arn, or you in particular, were not paid as well as you should have in terms of your contribution towards the end of your run? Well, it was, it, was, it, was not, it was not the fact of, of getting paid. It was signing contracts. When Turner was, was hiring and buying the company, he was signing people to big contracts. And other people had got the contracts and they didn't sign Arn and I to a contract. So it was job security as well as money. You know, when you, when you're the people that are selling tickets, you know, when, when it's a sellout, when the road warriors are beating you up, and it's not a sellout when they're beating somebody else up. <laughs> right. Crockett was negotiating with um, Turner to sell his company to Turner. And Turner was doing interviews with um, the key players, which I was one of. And we were instructed to be honest with everything. And I said, okay, I will. So they asked me some questions and I was honest with the answers and Crockett didn't like my answers because the people at Turner asked him some questions that 
I guess, were uncomfortable to be answered. And I wasn't smart enough to just sashay around the questions. I answered them. I'm just a plain old simple guy. And uh, so they politely kicked me off the plane and told me I wasn't loyal. And so I said, then I don't need to work here. And uh, Arn and I dropped the titles the next night in uh, Philadelphia. So, Tully, how did you guys you end up in me? WWF? How did you guys Absolutely. end up in WWF? Well, we we had already reached out to Vince and had a secret meeting with him, um, and he said that he would. And what love is to have real quick? If you, real quick, on. just um, what is because we've heard some other people on who said they've had the same kind of secret meetings with Vince. What does that actually mean? Was oh, that yeah. at his, was that is at his house or did you meet at a hotel? No, we met at his house, and um, but it's you know I mean it, it's it's just a business meeting, it's just a recruiting meeting, you know he he, you know you have a job anytime you want it, type situation, and so when this thing came apart and fell apart, uh, we knew we had a job, so it was it was not hard to do. And uh, I I was going to quit and go up there, which may have been harder, but Arn came with me, which was a little bit of a surprise. But anyway. How, how was that a surprise to you because of his ties with Crockett or uh, you were surprised that Vince was interested well, in Well, I mean, well? he was, yeah, I mean, he and I were a tag team, but he and I didn't talk about, you know, leaving Crockett or whatever. I mean, he and I, we went to meet with Vince uh, together. And, uh, and so, but I mean, I, it was, when I quit, it was, it was right. I mean, it was spur of the moment. Well, you guys still had uh, the titles at the time when you quit. Oh yeah. It was in Houston and I quit and I said, do you want the title, the belts tonight or tomorrow in Philadelphia? (laughs) And, uh, nobody would answer. So when we walked into the dressing room in Philadelphia the next night, it was, uh, moderately cold in the dressing room. <laughs> and, uh, so we dropped the belts to, uh, the midnight express. And I said goodbye to everybody and walked out the door. And then we started with, uh, Vince maybe a month later. Now, were you, um, for me as a fan, when I saw Arn and Tully, you know, I grew up in California so I could watch WBF and uh, Crockett. We, we, it, was it a surprise to you as it was to me that it was Arn and Tully as this package tag team, not Arn and Tully as singles or Arn and Tully as singles who sometimes tag, but you guys were the brain busters, not kind of like the rockers or, you know, you guys were a, uh, a yeah. set. Was well, that a surprise? Well, that, that's just, that's, no, that's their mentality. And, um, and, and that's kind of just what it was. And, um, so we did win the tag team belts and we did get requested by Dick Ebersol to be on Saturday night's main event 
to follow Hogan because we're the only ones that kept the ratings up is what I was told. Now, how did you, how did you, yeah, what was going through your mind to have, I mean, that's huge to be just on Saturday night's main event. I mean, back then the crowds and the TVs and lights, like it was a lot different from where you were previous. Was that like a lot of, um, did you have to learn or not a lot of new things wrestling in that kind of environment? Oh, no, not at all. They, they'd never seen our, our normal stuff. So making people scream, you just make them scream. And we have the ability to make people scream. And your WWF years, how do you look back on those? Is it was it a happy time? Did you enjoy? Um, did you enjoy your time there? Um. Well, when you're wrestling every night and traveling every day, you know, I mean, it it, it has its uh, weight on you. And uh, what's the most amount of you days know, we you were, were ever on? The- Sorry, what's the most amount of days you think you were ever on the road without being home, like in a row? Um, well, when I was, we wrestled 330 days a year with either company. So we were supposed to be on, our tours were supposed to be 14 days and then off for three. But you were the first day of being off was flying back home, and, and the last the day was day prepping. Was flying back to where you were starting. Wow! Your, your next tour, and then you were on the road for fourteen days again. So, you know, it was it was it was hard, and. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we didn't get paid great, but we got paid. We, we, we actually made a lateral move, which we were a little surprised with. But in the course of our lateral move, we, we, Turner had finished buying Crockett and they had had some leadership changes. And, and that's what, when Arn and I got, got wore out and, uh, uh, we called Atlanta up and talked to Jim Barnett actually, and asked him if he wanted to put the horsemen back together again, because all their combinations that they were trying to resurrect weren't working. And, uh, and they called back and said that uh, they would give us each three quarters of a million dollars if we would come back and form the Four Horsemen. And so we agreed to that, and we were negotiating, or we did negotiate a leaving date for with Vince to leave the WWF. And, uh, that was going to be survivor series 1989 and, uh, which Arn made it there and I didn't. And, uh, so now there's a lot made of that survivor series, you know, um, 
Vince knew you were leaving. You guys knew you were leaving. Uh, Arn made it, and you were replaced on the uh, the Heenan team. Um, and a lot of people attribute, you know, that you had failed a drug test prior to that. But I've heard maybe some talk that it was kind of a targeted thing because you guys were leaving. Um, how did it come to be where you didn't appear on that Survivor Series uh, match? Well, I was, I did flunk a drug test. Um, I didn't get suspended or fired or whatever for till after the following TV taping, which TV taping was every three weeks at that time. And, uh, because they wanted me to get, uh, my last match was against the ultimate warrior. And we actually had a pretty good match, even though he, uh, he beat me up a little bit and Andre came out and it was a, a buildup for the survivor series. But then the following day is when Vince called me and told me that I'd flunked the drug test and turned my tickets in and, and uh, they didn't need me anymore. So, Do you feel um, that maybe you were targeted because you had decided to leave? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I flunked a drug test. I mean, the, the, their policy was you flunk a drug test, you, you get a six-week suspension, you second one you get a reha- you go to rehab and third one you get terminated um you know i mean so i whether i was targeted not targeted it really is irrelevant i was leaving and uh i did flunk a drug test um but the only thing they tested for was cocaine usage at that time so and and i didn't do enough cocaine the night before, all I did was lick the bag. I, I bought some dope for the girls, and the girls went to the bathroom and snorted all the dope, and I licked the bag so I could look like the party animal, but uh, uh, <laughs> which is kind of humorous when I tell that story in prison. But uh, because because everybody knows that when you send women to the bathroom with the dope, they never bring any dope back. <laughs> you know, and I went home and, and I had 22 days off and it was, it was actually, uh, God, I was off the road. I was away from wrestlers. I was in the gym. I was working out. I was really, everything was, was, was great. And WCW didn't have a drug policy at the time. So, I mean, they couldn't really, uh, do anything that, uh, you know, I, I I didn't see anything coming down the road that was going to be harmful, if that makes sense. And uh, so, so I and I knew what everybody there did, and so, you know, I, I took it in stride. And then uh, when Flair called me on November uh, the thirteenth, he called me at one o'clock in the morning and told me that they had. Uh, found out about the drug deal and they reneged on it, reneged on the three quarters of a million for me. And the biggest and most horrible thing of the whole thing, they reneged and they made Arn take a different deal, uh, which was not fair. But, uh, 
you know, it's something that he and I have had to talk about over the years and, and, uh, asked him to forgive me for that because, you know, he had a family and, and, uh, uh, you know, I was just single. So it, when you got a family and you're the sole provider, things are, are different, but, you know, Arn was very successful and is successful and has been successful. So he, he recovered from that, but it's still, uh, my actions cost him money. And it's one thing when my actions cost me something, but when my actions cost somebody else money, it's, it is, uh, it weighs heavier on my heart. If that makes sense. Sure. Was, and, uh, Go ahead. Oh, was your offer reneged entirely, or were they trying to kind of strong arm you into a smaller deal the way it did, they did Arn? Um, probably trying to strong arm me, but at at that point, it was just reneged totally, and um, and I, I mean it was life changing. the The events of that night changed my life forever, and. Uh, I, when I hung the phone up with Flair, you know, I, in the course of 11 days, Vince called me, it was November 2nd when Vince called me, and we were in Rochester, Illinois, so I fly home to Chicago, to Charlotte, and uh, then 11 days later, Flair calls me, so I've now gone from world champion superstar to, to unemployment in 11 days. And, uh, oh, it was, it was nuts. And, you know, how, how are you going to fix it? What are you going to do? Uh, you get defiant, you get whatever. And I mean, your mind is just exploding with emotions. And I mean, I was, I literally felt paralyzed in, in bed. And I, I was trying to think of something that, that would be, a plan out of this thing and I couldn't come up with a plan. And the more I thought and the more I contemplated, the more miserable I got. And then I just wanted to go to sleep and, uh, oh my gosh, it was, it was, you know, if you, if you think a, a second can be eternity, I was, I was living it. Did you think and, deep inside uh, that it was going to be over forever? Did you say, you know, I'll get past this in a few weeks and there'll be something else will open up for me or somebody will give me a second th- th- chance? There was, there was nothing, there was nothing that was, that was, no thoughts were materializing like that. You know, I mean, it, it, it's crazy to, to think about me not being in the wrestling business. You know, I mean, the stature of where I was. And to not be in it was just nuts. But as I was trying to get solace and get a plan and get a direction at 4.03 in the morning, I said, Jesus, take over my life. And uh, it was the first time I'd ever used the name Jesus when I wasn't cussing somebody. And uh, what year was this? as, As I tell people. This was 1989. Oh, oh November wow! November 13th. So that that happened then, and that happened that night. You know, three hours after Flair called me, and uh, it when I said Jesus take over my life, 
there was a calmness that came over me that, that I had never felt before. And all that mental chaos just stopped. Boom. And, um, I, I, I heard a voice, somebody impressed my spirit. I don't know, but I believe that, that God spoke to me and, and basically this is what he said. He said, your life is going to be okay. And that was it. And I fell asleep and I woke up the next day and I didn't, think anything was earth shattering or whatever. I didn't have a job and I was at home and, and, uh, doing stuff and went to the gym and worked out. And, uh, because I think deep down inside, I thought, you know, these guys are crazy. They need me down there. They're, they're, they're dying on the vine and I can sell tickets. So anyway, that, that was the, the, the thought process. So I was still working out and, and stuff and, uh, two days go by and my dad calls me or I called my dad, one of the two. And, um, he, he said, what's happened to you? And I said, what do you mean? What's happened to me? And, and he said, you don't sound the same. What's happened? And I said, dad, you're, you're, I, you know, I, I, I was kind of stuttering. I said, what do you, nothing's happened to me. And he's, I said, what's up with you? He said, you're not cussing. And it, it, it hit, it hit me like a, like a ton of bricks because I mean, I was, I was, I, I was, I was too lazy to think of things to say. So I would say lazy garbage, if that makes any sense. And that's the way a lot of guys are. They're just too lazy to think of something important to say. So they just hem haw and F this and F that and blah, 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 blah. You know, and and that's the way I was. And, uh, and, uh, but my dad noticed, boom, that I hadn't said anything. And that was three day two. It was three days. Uh, and I said, Oh my gosh, something has happened to me because I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in a setting where my dad and I were friends enough to where we did not have to have, uh, I didn't have to, okay, I can't cuss around my dad. You know, that, that was not my mindset around him. And, uh, and you'd go to some meetings that you'd, that you had to be careful and you couldn't let stuff fly like you normally would. And, uh, for him to say that, oh my gosh, it was, it was unbelievable. And, uh, later I found out, you know, that, that, you know, I gave, I gave God permission when I said, Jesus, take over my life. He did. And he had a plan for me. And at 35 years old, he put me on a different plan. And I've been following it for uh, this year on November the 13th will be the 29th anniversary of doing that. 
and uh, and God made it very very evident that I wasn't supposed to be in the wrestling business anymore, and uh, I, I could probably write a book on that uh, too. And I'm I'm just I, you know the doggone thing. I this is this is. I was I was I was unemployed for 14 months and lost everything. But I was the happiest I'd ever been. I was going to church, I was sober, I was not doing drugs, I was clean, I was everything. And then I was about to lose my house and I had gotten married in November a year after that. And some wrestling independent company wanted me to come and work for them 10 days a month in Florida. And I said, golly, I think I can do that. And they were offering me a pretty good amount of money. And uh, when I did that, I was playing in a celebrity basketball game and I ruptured my Achilles tendon and had to have surgery and had to have that thing nixed. And uh, so I knew that that deal was gone. And I never thought about this, but I I was in uh, doing a, a wrestling seminar in Rawway, New Jersey, two or three years ago. When my, when my daughter was up there wrestling and they wanted me to walk to the ring with her and get involved in the match a little bit. And uh, so I agreed to do that. And the first thing I did when I rolled into the ring and threw a punch, I tore my bicep. Oh, my God. And, I mean, it's torn today still. I mean, I, it's not painful. I still work out and all that stuff. But even just do if I do anything more than sign autographs and, and take pictures, I get hurt. So <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not messing with anything. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about that before. That's a first on this show, on any hey, well, show. So. Tully, what do you think would have happened if Tully Blanchard did stay in the wrestling business? Where do you think his career would have gone? I think that uh, Turner Broadcasting would have been a lot stronger than they were. And uh, the Horseman thing would have been a bigger deal than than it ended up being. But, I mean, again, how, how big is it? How, how big could it be, be? How could it be any bigger than it, than it is right now? I mean, when we go places, it's, it's sold out people in lines to get your autograph. I mean, it, it can't be any better whether I had, whether I wrestled for four more years or just the way it was. And, uh, you know, uh, I do know if I'd have stayed in wrestling longer and made it through the Monday night wars, I'd charge more for my appearances, <laughs> but you know, but I don't mind being the cheapest horseman. So. <laughs> 
Well, I don't know if it'll shock you that uh, more than on one occasion, uh, my son and I have paid for a Tully Blanchard autograph and picture, and we have one hanging up in our house. So uh, we're big fans of yours, and we appreciate you doing those conventions. Uh, it's always a pleasure. I do want to. Well, bless you. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Always, 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 uh, always good to see the people I I looked up to, you know, watching wrestling. And uh, one question I have: It seems like '89. You know, that's something I did not know was that your life change happened on the immediate heels of you uh, of you getting uh, your author offer withdrawn. But you had to have a lot of offers over the next uh, few years. You know, I mean, you were Tully Blanchard. You you had a you were a commodity, a no, proven commodity. That that that's amazing, and I didn't. I had one, I had one legitimate offer from uh, WCW, and the the contract I had actually flown to Corpus Christi. They were doing their first live uh, Monday night thing, and. Uh, the contract didn't come through, didn't sign it. Uh, they didn't let me appear. And I flew back home and it was, it was done. And, uh, it's, it's, it's like, I mean, without getting crazy spiritual, God just closed all those doors. So I wouldn't be tempted, and I and I went on about my business, taking care of what I was supposed to take care of, being taken care of. And in 1994, uh, God opened the door for me to go into the nation's prisons and jails, and that's what I've been doing for the last 25 years. But it's not something that you you know, of course. You've been doing all this great work for 25 years, and in a lot of minds, you're still defined as the wrestler. It's not something you run away from. It's something that you embrace as you do your ministry to uh, the people in the prisons. Oh, yeah. I wear the, I, I've, I've worn the robe in more prisons and longer than I ever wore it in, in an arena. <laughs> what is, when, when you go in and you talk to the prisons, what's the main point that you try to get across in your speeches? Um, that I know what it is like to screw up your life and have great misfortune and that there's a God that loves you and has a plan for your life if you just will ask him to come into your life. And many men do. Many don't. Many men do. Many women do. Um, and it's just like it, it's it's just like my life. I mean, it was uh, the behind the scenes stuff on me was I had a mom and a dad because when my brother was killed, they both had had a spiritual experience with Christ, and they started praying for me. My mother's prayer actually was there's a, there's a Christian man inside my other son and God let him come out. And she prayed that for 12 years 
before I was put in that situation to where I said, Jesus, take over my life. And many people in this country, they're under the misconception that because I am or we are or people are, just because you have a relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that does not make you a religious maniac. And when I grew, when I grew up, if, if I, I, I was under the idea, if you talked about God, you were talking about religion. And having a relationship with God is at the other end of the spectrum from where religion is. And uh, many people miss having a fulfillment in life because of that misconception. Did that make sense? Sure. Sure. And I think, I hope a lot of people listen to that and get a lot out of that, that it's not just religion we're talking about here. We're talking about, you know, having a life change to, uh, uh, you know, um, giving over to something more powerful than yourself. And I think it's awesome. And it's done great for your life. And, uh, before we let you go, we appreciate all your time. Uh, I wanted to ask you about, you had a little tidy run there at ECW in 1995. You, uh, did ch- you actually challenged for the heavyweight championship and had a, about a couple more uh, a couple more matches with Shane Douglas uh, each successive month? What was your experience like, kind of behind the scenes, getting signed there, and what was it? What was it like backstage uh, there at ECW? Um, it was. They had some tremendous talent. Uh, Shane Douglas is is a is a unbelievable talent. Uh, and, and his career speaks for itself, you know, and, uh, I was just trying to pay for babies and I, that was one of the seven matches I think that I had after, after all that stuff. But anyway, it was, it was good. Paulie dangerously is, is certainly a character. So. Uh, and it was an overall uh, good experience for you just uh, working in ECW for that short time yeah I mean I, I met uh, a number of those guys and, and uh, that I wouldn't have got to meet otherwise and and uh, you know it was it was and it was still nice to know that, that wrestling fans still remembered me and appreciated it and what year was that Tully I don't know. 1995. 95. And then, well, what year did you end up? Because I know for a very, and I'm pretty sure it was a super short period of time, you you, um, were doing agenting for WWE, right? What year was that? Oh, no, 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 no. I went to a job interview about being an agent. I was never an agent. Oh, so you never actually were. No. I I went up there. I flew up to Chicago, then to St. Louis, um, and uh, they they never really put a job offer out there, and I interviewed, and they never offered me any money, so I mean, it really wasn't a job offer. Got it. Uh, so you never even did any so, trial runs, like practicing agent matches or anything to see how you did, or they never even checked no. you out? No. Nope. I, I got to ask you this: the last time uh, WE fans have seen you on on the network, on WE Network, was on a table for three. 
Now, I remember with uh, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair, watching this myself, it seemed kind of awkward in the room with the three of you. I don't know what the dynamic there was, but is it fair to say that, uh, you know, that you guys aren't guys who are going to be hanging out outside of a table for three situation? Um, well, our lives have all gone in different directions and different stuff. And, uh, you know, there's, there's not an opportunity to really hang that much anymore. I, I do know that when, uh, like in Knoxville, um, I took JJ out to dinner for his birthday which was the week prior. Um, Arn and Barry had to go sign some other stuff for the, for the promoter. And I think Rick was at a different hotel. Uh, so we kind of operated like that. And then the next day, uh, we went to the airport and, uh, Arn and I rode in the airport, rode to the airport together with my daughter and uh, chatted a little bit before we had different, different destinations and different gates and, and uh, you know, every, everything is fine, but it's, it's not like it used to be for sure. Well, Tully, man, thank you very much for your time. Uh, obviously we appreciate it. Do you want to um, tell everyone listening a little bit about your book and where they could purchase it and everything? Well, when it gets finished, I will, and you guys will have to have me back on to talk about that. But it's it's uh, so I think I think that uh, the lady that is my ghostwriter is back on track. <laughs> At least that's what the email said today. <laughs> well, so and what about any any social media, Tully? Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, anything like that you want to promote, or if anyone wants to book you for any of your um, comic cons or conventions or anything, or or to have you give ministry. Well, I I tell you, I had my I had a a verified Twitter account, and somebody hacked it and stole it. And I don't know enough to how to, because they took my email and I mean, took the whole thing. And uh, so I, I just kind of got off Twitter and, um, and don't really mess with Facebook because somebody hacked and, and took my AOL, hacked my AOL account. So I had to change my emails and, Oh my God! What a what a when 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 that's when you've got your email address attached to all your banks and all your important stuff. Oh my gosh! What a what a pain that is. So I'm I'm kind of backed down off of social anything. So uh, maybe one of these days I'll go take a class and I'll feel more confident, or I'll have my children teach me. <laughs> that's probably the, the, the best. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Tully. I had a million questions for you. I hope I got to ask them all. I hope you had a good time, and thank you very much for joining us here on Why It Ended with Robbie. Well, I for sure know you didn't ask a million questions. But, <laughs> you know, if you guys, if 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 you guys want to uh, take any phone calls, then you can get a hold of me. You know, with a promoter or anything like that. Sure. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be. Uh, uh, 
I mean, you guys know more about me now than I know about me, so. <laughs> hey, Robbie, he's gone now, um, so I can say it. Um, Tully fucking Blanchard. Now, I know that cursing is just a way, a lazy way to not say anything else, but I really can't think of anything else. Tully fucking Blanchard. What did, did you, you feel like? Did you feel like you were like a little braiding? I know you were sweating as you did this. You were looking forward to this all week. Like now you, you even have his phone number. You get to text with him. Like how happy are you? You feel like a third grader, don't you? You know, it's weird. You never kind of get over the people you grew up watching, you know, and Tully was the ultimate heel, but I, to be honest, I was more of a Tully guy than a Dusty Rhodes guy. And for me, it was a fantastic thing. And also, I had a lot of questions about the end of his career because he was at the top of his game. And you said, I think he said 35 and gone. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I'll be honest. A lot of that was new for me. When I was a little kid, it was when he was in the Brain Busters in the WWF for a short period of time. Because before that, I was young in his uh, NWA days and the Crockett stuff, so I didn't watch wrestling, obviously. And um, you know, and then he was pretty much done after that. So I don't, I'm not too familiar with a lot of the things that he talked about. So it was cool to kind of speak. And I don't know him that well from, you know, I've met him before, but I don't know him that well from convention. So it was cool to kind of talk to him and hear his side of the story and get to know him a little bit more. And he's a super nice guy. Super nice guy. It's. Uh, um... If I ever go to prison, I hope Tully Blanchard comes and visits me. Probably. Yeah, how cool is that? And he seems so happy that he's going around doing those speeches and helping people out, which, you know, I mean, that, that's that got to be rewarding going home saying, you know, you're helping people realize that they still have a life even though they're in jail. A lot of times people wonder about, is this legit, you know, or not with people and, and you know, this kind of thing. But for me, Tully sounded as legit in his prison ministry as he was as a great heel and a great wrestler. And I'll tell you what else is legit is why it ended. Robbie, tell them all the good stuff about why it ended. Well, um, why it ended is the greatest podcast ever, as you know, and you can follow us on Twitter at why it ended on Instagram at why it ended. Check out our YouTube at where it ended.com buy the shirts at pro wrestling tees. And then of course our Patreon page is rocking. Keep joining, keep supporting us. We appreciate it. You'll get the episodes early. You'll get some bonuses. And the main thing that you're doing is you're helping us. So we do appreciate it, guys. We appreciate everybody for listening. And you never know who will get. Ryback, Francine, Tully Blanchard. Who's going to be next on Why It Ended? She was from Dartry and liked hard-boiled dramas. He was from Dundrum and liked soft, gooey rom-coms. Together, they both found what they were looking for. At Entertainment, an epic new streaming experience from the creators of How Do You Eat Yours. Get ready to eat with your eyes and ears at creameggeatertainment.com. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.